Stand and listen for the gospel. This morning, the gospel according to St. John, chapter 15, the first eight verses. Jesus is speaking and says, I am the true vine, and my Father is the vine grower. He removes every branch in me that bears no fruit. Every branch that bears fruit, he prunes to make it bear more fruit. You have already been cleansed by the word that I have spoken to you. Abide in me as I abide in you. Just as the branch cannot bear fruit by itself unless it abides in the vine, neither can you unless you abide in me. I am the vine, you are the branches. Those who abide in me and I in them bear much fruit, because apart from me you can do nothing. Whoever does not abide in me is thrown away like a branch and withers. Such branches are gathered, thrown into the fire and burned. If you abide in me, and my words abide in you, ask for whatever you wish, and it will be done for you. My Father is glorified by this, that you bear much fruit and become my disciples. The Word of Life. Did you hear that promise at the end? of the reading today it's a big promise verse 7 if you abide in me and my words abide in you ask for whatever you wish and it will be done for you that's a mighty big promise that Jesus offers to his disciples and through this gospel even to us I've heard sermons on this verse, perhaps you have as well. There have been books, whole books written about this verse. This became so popular when I was a teenager that it had a name. Name it and claim it theology. Ask for whatever you wish, and if you believe enough, God's going to give it to you. Just name it and claim it. Of course, the verse doesn't actually have that part in there about believe enough. But that kind of gives those preachers and those authors a way out that if you name it and it doesn't come, well, maybe it's because of your belief. But that's not exactly what this passage really says, I don't think. I think that is a dangerous interpretation of that verse. I think in a culture like ours where we're so productive and there's more and more products which we can buy, Such a variety of ways that we can demonstrate our wealth. It becomes a dangerous thing to boil the gospel down to saying, well, if I have more wealth or if I have more stuff than you, then I have a better faith. Or God loves me more because I have more stuff. And yet you can still hear that preached any given day on television. You can still find lots of books about it. These days, typically, it's called the prosperity gospel. That material prosperity is the sign of great faith. But the gospels and the Bible as a whole have a whole lot more to say about caring for others and caring for the poor and sacrifice on behalf of Christ than it does about material wealth and building it. So I want us to notice this. The first thing we should notice is that often this verse 
is taken out of context. And when you hear someone talking just about this verse or that idea and ignoring all the other parts and passages of Scripture that talk about loving one another and loving your neighbor and caring for the poor and noticing the most vulnerable in the society, usually in the Bible, it's widows and orphans, those who need the most help and caring for them. And maybe even sacrificing your own material possessions on behalf of the work of God as a follower of Christ. If all of that gets ignored, I think we've missed an important part of the gospel and we've wandered into dangerous territory. Have you seen that movie that's out recently called Come Sunday? It's about Carlton Pearson. You may remember that name, Bishop Carlton Pearson. He was a student at Oral Roberts University. He became very popular. He's a very talented man. He preaches beautifully. He can also sing. He often combines those two things together when he would be in the pulpit. He did really well at ORU. Then he started his own church here in Tulsa called Higher Dimensions. It grew to where... They were averaging thousands every week in worship. The movie is about him and the rise and fall of the Higher Dimensions Church here in Tulsa. After he grew this wonderfully integrated, multicultural, dynamic church, he went through a series of experiences where he began to question his evangelical interpretation of the Bible. And he particularly began to struggle with the idea that a loving God is damning millions of people to hell. And he felt like, while he was thinking and praying about this, that God spoke to him and said, I love all of my children, and I'm going to save them all. And then Carlton stepped back into the pulpit. And without having talked to anybody else in his congregation, he began to tell his congregation about his change of heart and his new theological perspective that God loves us all and will redeem everyone. As you might imagine, that didn't set well with people. That he's been telling for years that unless you believed in a certain way, you were going to hell. And some of his people began to rebel. And then they began to leave the church when he wouldn't stop. And one scene in the movie, after one particular Sunday, where lots of people during the sermon stood up and walked out, his main associate came to him and said, if you need any proof that it wasn't God speaking to you, half of your church just left. But you have to be careful when you evaluate solely on large numbers of people and lots of money coming in. But that was the evaluation about whether or not in that situation God had really spoken to him and God was really inspiring him to speak in that way or not. 
But if you think about it, if this verse alone, just really a part of this verse, is the core of the gospel, then wouldn't Jesus have been something more like a very wealthy traveling evangelist? Rather than a poor, wandering, itinerant preacher who ends up on a cross. The second thing I want us to notice here is that the sentence does not begin with the word ask. Let me read it to you again. It's verse 7 in chapter 15. Here's how the sentence begins. If you abide in me and my words abide in you, ask for whatever you wish and it will be done for you. So ask is in there. But in those eight verses we read eight times, Jesus says, abide, abide in me, abide in my word. Let me suggest to you that there is much more about abiding versus asking that we need to pay attention to. And if you listen to what Reverend Venable read out of 1 John, I lost count of how many times it says abide in God's love or abide in me or abide in the love of Christ. I think abiding is the key to all of this. Let's look at those verses again for just a moment. We go up to verse 4. Jesus says, Abide in me as I abide in you. I think it's all about this relationship with Christ, this connection with Christ. He goes on to say, Just as the branch cannot bear fruit by itself unless it abides in the vine, neither can you unless you abide in me. It's about this relationship, this connection, like a vine and a branch, you and Christ. That's where the life comes from. That's the key. You can hear it again in verse 5. I am the vine, you are the branches. Those who abide in me and I in them bear much fruit. The fruit bearing comes from the relationship with Christ, from the vital connection with the vine as we are the branches. That seems to be the key. Then verse 6 is kind of the negative side of all of this. Jesus says, whoever does not abide in me is thrown away like a branch and withers. Again, the significant part of that is that the connection with Christ, the connection with God through Christ is the vital piece of all of that. Then, after Jesus has said all of that to his disciples, then we get to verse 7. And that's the third thing I want us to notice. Jesus, Jesus begins the sentence with if. If you abide in me. There's a question. There's a decision here. If you abide in me. And my words abide in you. And what words would those be? Do you remember the context in the Gospel of John when Jesus is speaking these words? It's the last night. He's with His disciples before the crucifixion. This story begins in chapter 13 of John. If you have your Bibles there, you can flip back over there. You'll see, you'll be reminded that Jesus is having dinner with His disciples on this last night before the crucifixion. And John tells us that during supper, Jesus gets up, takes off His outer robe, wraps a towel around Himself, and begins to wash the disciples' feet. Everything's going fine until Jesus gets to Peter 
And Peter says, not me. You're not going to be the slave or the servant to me. You're not going to wash my feet. And Jesus says, well, unless I wash your feet, you have no share with me or no connection with me. And the connection and the relationship is what all of this is all about. The 13th chapter goes on to say that when he finishes washing their feet, he tells them that he has set for them an example that they ought to do to one another what he has done for them. And then just before that chapter ends, Jesus says this to them. It's chapter 13, verse 34 and 35. I give you a new commandment that you love one another. Just as I have loved you, you also should love one another. By this, everyone will know that you are my disciples if you have love for one another. Then chapter 14 goes on with a discussion between Jesus and the disciples and He's telling them again to follow Him, that He is the way And then He promises them that He's not leaving them alone, but in fact, the Holy Spirit, an advocate, is going to come in chapter 14, verse 15. You hear it again, this parallel to what we read today and what He said before. All of this in the same setting on that same night. Jesus says, if you love Me, you will keep My commandments. I think it's the same sentiment as if He said, if you abide in Me and keep My words or abide in My Word. He says it more than once at this setting with His closest friends and disciples on this last night. He's going to be speaking to them. I believe Jesus is trying to draw this sharp picture of the centrality of love Agape is the Greek word used here. Agape, love. That is, willing the good or doing the good for the other. I think Jesus is trying to say in a whole variety of ways, loving your neighbor is the main thing. This is the central thing. If you're going to be connected to Me, I have loved you just as the Father has loved Me. And now your job as a disciple is to love one another. Go love others. Other places in the Gospels, Jesus says the greatest commandment is what? Love God and love your neighbor. If you have received this great love of God and acknowledge that it's come to you, then share it with someone else. The new commandment is love one another as I have loved you. So I think that we understand this verse better when we remember it in the broader context and amplify it a little bit, if you will. I've put sort of an amplified verse in your outline. I think it's meant to read like this. If you abide in me or abide in my love and my words about agape love abide in you, Then ask, then ask. doesn't begin with ask. 
begins with abiding. If you're abiding in Christ, then ask God. If you're sacrificing like Christ, then ask. If you're willing the good or trying to do the good for someone else, then when you ask God to do something, God's going to act. If you're loving your neighbor, if you're loving one another, if you're doing all the good you can, then ask. That's the time. But so often people pull this phrase out and jump right to the ask part and miss the relationship and the connection part. The part where Jesus says, I am the vine, you are the branches. If you're connected to the vine, if you're doing as I am doing, then, then ask. There was a woman talking to her friend one day. They were talking about her faith. She was struggling with her faith. She was at a point where she was clear that she had not entrusted all of her life to God. And yet she was afraid to do so. She was telling her friend about that. Particularly she was saying, I'm just afraid that if I entrust all of who I am and all that I have, that somehow I'm going to lose something like my son. She had one son and only son. He was a young boy. was really the center of her life, sort of the idol of her heart. So her friend said, okay, let's think about it like this. What if one day this son you love so much ran up to you and said, Mom, I'm going to do whatever you ask me. I am ready to obey you in all things. I trust you know best. I'm going to cooperate. My friend said, if your son came and said that, would you then decide to take some things away from him to try to make him miserable? Would you put all kinds of obstacles in his way? Would you ask him to do some things that were impossible for him to do? And the mom said, oh no, of course not. I would grab him and kiss him on the head and love him. I would do everything I could to give him everything that was kindest and best in the world i would do everything i could to bring him fullness of life and her friend said then are you wiser and more tender or more loving than god jesus says here's the way to respond to the gospel Abide in me as I abide in you. Are you ready to abide in Christ? Amen.